This is Anthony Pascal. And this is Lori Elster, and this is the All Access Star Trek podcast. Today we're going to be reviewing Star Trek Lower Decks, Season 4, Episode 4, Something Borrowed, Something Green. But first, we're going to cover the news, starting with uh, New York Comic Con. They finally announced that there is going to be a Star Trek Universe panel, but no celebrities. I, su- I was surprised because you know, with San Diego Comic Con, they waited to the last minute, I guess, because they were kind of not sure what to do. They announced this a, a month in advance. So I guess they've just thrown in the towel and just said, you know, we're not going to have celebrities, but we're going to do a panel anyway. They've done big stuff in New York. You know, the Discovery had the big trailer. And last year, I mean, they've had big panels there. I was really hoping New York Comic Con would happen after the strike. It's possible the WGA strike is going to be over by then. I mean, the talks have restarted. Yep. If that happened, they'd probably scramble to get Alex and Michelle there. But so they're going to do kind of what they did in San Diego. They're going to show an episode in advance. In this case, an episode of Lower Decks. It won't be as, like, cool as the crossover. No, it won't be, like, a much-anticipated specific one that everyone's been talking about for a year or longer. (laughs) It will be, you know, it'll be the episode that would have aired the next week. I don't know if they're going to also put it on Paramount+. Plus. They might do that like they did it before, just because people talk about, I assume, you know, spoiler issues and... Whatever. Right. So that'll be episode eight because this happens on October 14th. What's new with this one is they are promising, quote, reveals and surprises. Now, you know, in Comic-Con, it was Scott Mance. He shows up on stage. He showed some family photos. <laughs> he, uh, he did? Yes. Uh, well, no, he showed like a <laughs> picture of himself when he was a kid, you oh, know, with Star Trek. In a Star Trek uniform or something, yeah, right? You know, yeah. And uh, they rolled in the episode and, you know, and that was it. There was no one on stage. There was no real announcements, you know, except for the early release. But this time, I think, you know, maybe there's they're going to do more. I'm expecting they're going to do something for Discovery, maybe. At least tell us the premiere date of the final season. The problem with Discovery is they, you know, they 100 percent want the cast and crew out there promoting it. My bet is they'll set a date, but a date that they're willing to move if the oh, strikes aren't over. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. They're going to treat the final season like a big deal. They're not, it's not, you know, they're not quietly walking away from the show. No. So, yeah. so th- th- they may do an a in-person premiere event like they've done before. They'll certainly want to get those people out on the talk shows. Right. I mean, they literally released a trailer for this at last New York Comic Con. You know, I mean, this, you know, the, the show's done. It's ready to go. You know? yeah. So they're just kind of sitting around waiting to release it at this point. You know, but the other problem is as soon as this show comes out, it kind of begins the drought. Right. While some work is happening on Lower Deck Season 5, no voice work is happening yet. And they wouldn't be running that right after Discovery anyway. Right. But it's it's questionable whether that could even come in the summer. Um, it might be the fall. Prodigy is kind of ready to go if they get a deal. So that would be But on Paramount Plus itself. They've got nothing for Star Trek yeah. after, after this. So they're going to want to get as much out of it as they possibly can. Okay, so um, that's Comic-Con. Which I'm hopefully going to go to. Of course, last year was the big Picard panel that I was not at because I was on a family vacation. So, <laughs> To be honest, you're going to be there 
but you probably won't be able to talk to anybody because there'll be no one to talk to. There'll be no one to, right, unless I want to <laughs> talk to some nice PR people or the person setting up the projector. Just kidding. You know. Scott Mance, maybe. <laughs> he won't be there because it's in New York. <laughs> um, but yeah, they'll, you know, they'll have someone like that. Okay. Little Paramount Plus, you know, expanding globally. They announced that in December they're going to Japan which is their second Asian launch after South Korea last summer, I think. They're doing a partnership again. This time it's with uh, two companies, one called JCOM, one called Wow Wow. Um, that is the name. <laughs> Sorry. Had a little laugh at Wow Wow. Um, they said they'll have Strange New Worlds available when they launch, but uh, no other details yet about what other yeah, shows. It could be all the other shows. Or no, I've reached out to them. They said they'll get back to me. So we'll know more on that later. They put out a video and, you know, it's got a lot of Tom Cruise in it, a lot of <laughs> SpongeBob, a lot of Transformers, new Star Trek. So Star Trek's not huge in Japan. What's I was just going to say not big in Japan, unlike <laughs> yeah. so many other things. But what's funny is they also announced um, a partnership with a company called Swisscom, which is a, a mobile for provider and broadband provider in Switzerland. Now, Paramount Plus is already available in Switzerland. So this is kind of one of those deals where they're also working with a, you know, kind of like how you get Paramount Plus through Walmart here in the USA, or you can, you know, in the UK, you can get it through Orange, which is a phone provider. Anyway, they are really leaning into the whole Star Trek of it. They produced this video announcing it and the videos like all Star Trek. Um, they shot a promotion they Right, they the film actors. stuff like, but it's you see like the shirt with the badge on it, but you don't see a face because you know that it's not like a famous Star Trek act. It's not someone who's in the show. There's like a Swiss flugelhorn. I think that's what they're called, but yeah. it's doing the Star Trek theme. I mean, right. so they lean and for in. a minute it looks like it's a trombone. There's a moment I think where they're trying to make you get that Riker trombone yeah. feel. So that was that was kind of fun because you know as we know. Star Trek is big in countries where people speak English and Germany and I guess Switzerland too, you know, because parts of Switzerland are German speaking, of course. So good on the Swiss, Swisscom. That was kind of cool. Yeah, it's fun. All right, we got a, this is an interesting thing that you just told me about this story about Jonathan Frakes. It's from an interview in Star Trek Explorer. He's talking about Discovery and you said it's the top story on the site right now. Yeah, there's a lot of buzz about this on social and on Reddit. You know, our friends at the um, Seventh Rule uh, Virtual TrekCon, they did a whole live stream episode on this yesterday. Even though it's kind of, you know, it's it's one of those seemingly innocuous things said by Frakes, who directed the penultimate episode, first revealed here when you and I talked about him of mm -hmm. uh, season five. But a couple things he said, one is he used the phrase that it's back on track, Discovery. Yeah. And he described season four as, quote, emo, <laughs> which is unlike him to kind of take a dig at something. I think he said heavy emo. Heavy emo. <laughs> I mean, and he also implied that there was kind of, he used the phrase a mandate. So he's basically saying... Someone, I think it's coming from Alex, is really, you know, and you know, saying, lighten up, guys. You know, the final season. And you know, Alex is a co-showrunner, so he could kind of say to himself, let's lighten up. <laughs> he didn't know it was the final season at the time. Uh, but, it, you know, it, so this kind of leans more into how the fifth season is a big pivot for the show. Frakes talked about 
he injected in his episode, even though it was part of the season finale and now series finale, you know, humor, you know, which he likened to Deadpool and First Contact. I, you need humor and lightness and tone, you know, but some people, you know, were like, what, what does he mean, you know, back on track? You know, when was it on track? How did it get off track? Right. Um, like the people who've always loved it are like it was always on track. The people who've always hated it say it was never on track. So yeah. I assume that's what some of the buzz is about because people, it is the most polarizing show. Well, I mean, <laughs> at the official Star Trek Reddit, our Star Trek, you know, this was the top story, um, as many trekmovie.com. So thank you, Redditors, for posting our stories. They had to shut down the conversation because it got so out of hand. Wow. Um, you know, so. Um, it, but it's still active on like four other subreddits. Uh, you know, it's like, so funny. Like discovery makes people so mad, but the people who love it just love it so much. So it is. It does create some interesting and usually unpleasant conversations. Yeah, when you look at our just like our Facebook typical article, a couple dozen, and then you know a discovery thing, and it's like two, three hundred comments. You yeah. know, um, well, it's it's a people love to hate it too. Like it is an interesting yeah. thing that people, if they hate it, they want everyone to know how much they hate it and why they hate it. Which is just, it is bizarre that it is, and I don't use this word often, very triggering for people. <laughs> oh, it is. There is no doubt the show is triggering. I believe Sonequa is triggering for a lot of people. Oh, for sure. Before they knew anything about her, as soon as they saw her. It's so, like, it's, you know, like a show, don't like a show, it seems so simple, right? Watch a show you like, don't watch a show you don't like. But people just, it it somehow just gets to them. But, I, you know, I mean, I respect uh, Jonathan Frakes um, and reading between the lines you know i i'm i'm again i'm looking forward i i like so much i love the characters i love the actors i do agree with a lot of the criticisms of the show how it does you know that well, the pacing I, I, is a problem pacing and um you know of course reducing to 10 helped every season they make important fixes season two you know i mean they kind of redid the show um and they moved into the future in season three you know and so um, so it'll be interesting to see this kind of new discovery. I'm looking at, you know, at bare minimum, I'm looking to see what they do, you know, cause it's interesting just, you know, observing how you take a four year old show and you try to reinvent it for a fifth season. Right. But I'm also hoping that this you know, Indiana Jones vibe, which Frakes also talked about, you know, cause it's this big mystery. It's a galactic quest to find some thing of power or whatever. As long as they go to interesting places, that's all I ask. Because if it's just chasing and then I beat you to it, no, I did. We'll see. But I want them to go to interesting places. I love the characters. I'm not. I'm not looking for more super fast action stuff. That's not my thing. But I don't object to it. The clip they released at Comic Con, which is the first five minutes of the season, is just all explosions and and uh, yeah, action, action and tons of special effects. But Wilson Cruz, a year ago at Comic Con, New York Comic Con, you said they're going to a bunch of new places that they've never been before. So this, yeah. you know, so they are from what we know. So we'll have much more to say about Discovery in the months between Lower Decks and Discovery as we wait for Discovery. I'm looking forward to it, though. I am. In the same magazine, Star Trek Explorer, uh, 
this latest issue is actually pretty good. This one's got a ton of interviews in it. There's actually more cool stuff from the Frakes interview. Um, he talks about the legacy show and how he sees the legacy show. Spaliers, Ed Spaliers has his own interview talking about that as well. He's very enthusiastic. And he, you know, he talks about the post credit scene and, you know, what, what, what kind of takes me back is he talks about how Terry outlined it to him. It just all, it just shows you how this was not some kind of master plan where they were setting up the new show. It was kind of done on the fly kind of stuff. You know, yeah, it sounds like they were like, okay, we've got them here. Let's, you know what? Let's just, I love the taking the moment, like, let's just shoot something. Let's do it. I got an idea. And then kind of pulling it together. Like they did it at the end of the shoot. Right. Yeah. And the idea that it would like tee up what could be next, but they didn't know that they were just kind of, you know, but they were talking something. about it and thinking about it, but it, you know, there was no, because again, they, they kind of let Terry do what the hell he wanted. Alex was busy working on the man of fell to earth. He kind of just said, go ahead, Terry, do whatever the hell you want. And he did. And Akiva, you know, who was running the show in the second season also just was very supportive and, and said, go for it. So yeah, people walked away with the impression that this was all some master plan and, you know, all some part of corporate synergy where they were setting up a new show. And it was just, you know, it was just some actors in the show and are just saying, Hey, let's, let's just give this a shot. You know? What yeah. The hell? Well, people are used to their Marvel credit scenes, which of course are very carefully planned and put together. You know, Ed very much wants to keep on doing this. He talks about it. He ho really hopes to work with Delancey again. Of course, Delancey would do it. He'd be happy to do it. I think everybody would do it. Frakes is like so ready to do it. The interesting thing that Frakes said is he'd be he, – he, he'd like to see Riker as a captain on his own ship or as the admiral who does the kind of Char Charlie's Angels thing, which I think is the more likely scenario mm -hmm. than to have – him be captain, you know, off on his own ship. Although, you know, maybe they give him a ship that he could, you know, roll out every once in a while as the app. <laughs> <laughs> That's it for Picard, you know, except a reminder that the we're going to have more Picard stuff coming because there's the big Picard box coming. Ooh. Crazy, huge Picard box coming yeah. in October. So, but the new Picard Blu-rays and stuff are out now and people are talking about how great those are a lot of good everybody's talking about it everybody seems thrilled good audio commentaries they talk a lot about the legacy show and the audio commentaries um you cool. know, Fra frakes is there terry's there others people are there speaking of dvds star trek stranger world season two is coming to dvd blu-ray and 4k uhd in december it's already out there for pre-order. We have a list on the site of the special features and some photos. It's got alternate takes like uh, the Klingon song in Subspace Rhapsody, which we know there was a Klingon opera version of that. And obviously there's no commentary. Yeah. So th there was time to do the commentaries for Picard, but not for this. Right. There's five flavors of this. There's good old fashioned DVD, which believe it or not, is still popular. And then there's four different Blu-ray releases. There's regular Blu-ray and 4K UHD Blu-ray, which is pretty cool. Then there's Steelbook versions. And what's if you don't know what a Steelbook is, it's basically the same product in a steel case. These are limited edition. They're a little bit more money. This time they also come with a Subspace Rhapsody poster. And the 4K UHD one also comes with these magnets. So you could switch because, again, the case is steel. So you could switch the cover art on your steelbook to each character. I need a subspace Rhapsody poster. 
<laughs> I'm still listening to it every single day. Well, we'll we'll see what we can do to get yeah. you one because they sold out at or not sold out. They handed them out at Comic Con, yeah, which which shut down the floor at Comic Con. It was a total I disaster. Some of us are still singing and dancing. I get it. <laughs> what else? You know, it's funny we we talk. You know, Jonathan Frakes is all over Star Trek, constantly directing the new shows, and so apparently a, another prolific director who got their start on Star Trek, Roxanne Dawson, was offered the chance to direct for Star Trek as well. But she turned it down. Uh, but she, in the last few years, has been directing for the Apple TV show Foundation, which is sci-fi. And so we have a really good article written up by Aaron Bosick, who's one of our contributors, who's writing more for our site now. And he found all these great interview clips of her talking about her directing history and why she turned down the thing. She had nice things to say about new Star yeah, Trek. Aaron did a great job actually like telling a thorough story instead of just focusing on one thing that she said. But yeah, she said she always was looking to branch out and do different things, try new things. So she was moving away from sci-fi and then foundation came along, but they told her this is not Star Trek. They were very clear that it was different. And so she took it because she always wants to do something that stretches her creatively. She's, I find her to be such an interesting person. She was just on the Delta Flyers a couple of weeks ago, just doing an interview about not about Star Trek for obvious reasons, just talking about her background in the theater and some stuff about directing. And she's, I find her fascinating and she's worked really hard. If you look at her credits, they'll blow your mind. Yeah. I mean, a lot of prestige drama uh, she's directed and she directed her own film recently, an indie movie. She's done four episodes of Foundation, two in each season. I just finished season two. I was a huge reader of the books, but I love the show, even though talk about changing things from the source material. But you can, you have to because these are 80-year-old books. you know. So yeah. I love the show. What's funny is Discovery was described as Game of Thrones in space. This is Game of Thrones in space. Discovery never really got that feeling to me. And nor does it have to. It is its own thing. But this show really has that kind of epic space opera feel. And uh, I highly recommend it. Yeah, I need to watch it. I read the books as a kid, but I was a kid a really long time ago. It's so. almost better to just kind of forget the books. They're yeah, just. Yeah, I mean, I have vague memories and I remember enjoying it, but I think I'll check it out. Anyway, moving on. This is a little merch story, but I liked it. There's a company called Vice Prince, UK company this week. They just announced they're doing a whole series of Star Trek posters and fine art prints. And what they're doing is they're going to, they're starting with their own design for a Star Trek, the motion picture. It's kind of a classic, but a new twist, but they're also going to remaster the Bob, Bob Peak posters, but there's some new stuff. They're doing some TNG posters and these are classy. I guess, you know, they're, they're, they look nice from what I've seen. But you know, not everyone agrees um, because there's, they're doing some of their own things. But uh, it's interesting, like, because, you know, I would think I would want movie posters because I would always want to collect the movie poster that came out for something, the famous movie poster, some weird variation, whatever. But this is a trend called alternative poster art where they create new art for something. And it's a different idea. Although in a lot of cases, these are things that you could almost imagine, like one of the versions is kind of a Japanese style poster. You could almost imagine that this came from the 70s. Sometimes 
you know, like there was that whole series of T TOS posters that uh, were put out by uh, Ortiz. I forget his well, name. Yes. Yeah. Those were great, but those I were modern and different and fun. And, you know, that's not what this is. This is, these are trying to look like classic movie posters, but in different styles. So right. anyway, it's a new licensee. I'm always excited when there's a new licensee. And uh, by the time you listen to this podcast, they, the first two posters, limited editions launch on Thursday. So they may be sold out by Friday. So too late. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> <But> keep, <laughs> keep an eye on them for more stuff. Yeah. All right. Well, I think before we get to Lower Decks, we should talk about the new Very Short Treks episode that came out called Worst Contact. Talk about polarizing. Yeah. <laughs> I've so. seen, I, I mean, I have, the thing about, before we get into the specifics, a lot of people don't like these in general, but I, it's sort of, even though I haven't liked them, to be honest, I sort of like that there are some people out there enjoying them. <laughs> I keep seeing comments from people going, actually, I thought that was really funny. Yeah, it was good. A good kick in the pants, whatever. I think it all comes down to how you approach them. Like, if you're thinking that this is part of Star Trek, even something like Short Treks, I still think naming them Short Treks, very Short Treks, was a mistake. Is It makes you think of Short Treks, which were trying to be part of the Star Trek canon, just shorts. These are wacky, kooky, zany. They're parodies you know they're, they're not supposed to be real you know and even the, but they have the real characters i kind of liked this one but oh. you know again it's one joke that's gross and it takes too long but so zooming out the idea is it's a twist on next gen so this time you got gates mcfadden and uh, jonathan frakes and they're doing a first contact uh but it just goes really bad which is why it's called worst contact I guess, you know, one of the things about this, even though it's not canon, is they make stupid mistakes that I'm surprised because Van Sitters was involved. Like, like you know, they Beverly calls Riker Bill and he describes himself as the commanding officer of the Enterprise. I mean, it's like what, what happens is when you're watching it as a Star Trek fan, you go, wait, that's not right. For super fans, especially like us, it I think that causes a moment where you don't you, you could have just is so easy to fix you know you just literally change one word or one letter um and you zoom past that because there's other issues to deal with they shouldn't get bogged down into just dumb mistakes like well that. The, so the question is is it a mistake so there are two ways well, that's to a look good at point. that's a so good point there are a couple of ways to look at this right and so if there are certain things in it that are very close let's say parodies of the animated series in terms of how things were filmed when they do those funny close-ups of their face and their eyebrow going up or whatever and they're definitely emulating that style of action of voice and of shots right and so one of the other things about the animated series was there was a lot of inconsistent stuff that was contradictory. And so, yes, at the beginning of Next Generation, they do call him Bill at least once. Somebody calls him Bill Riker. That's, yeah, so, you know what? You know, I got to take that back. I, I guess I see your point. Because when I saw Casper Kelly, who ran this thing at Comic-Con, he talked about how they, you know, when they were on the, this is more of the animation, but how much work the animators were put into making it look flawed which they did like the one thing i like about these 
is the animation style. I think it's great and it's funny. And I've watched a lot of the animated series, particularly because I helped. I was the copy editor on that book about the animated series. I do like that they've really, if you know the animated series, you can see it as a tribute. But the, the question is like, it doesn't feel like it's for Star Trek fans. But if it isn't, then those people aren't going to get it anyway. So I'm right. so confused again by where it sits. Like, I'm just not sure what it is. And I didn't even things like they say, oh, you have warp drive. Now you can join the Federation. Well, any Star Trek fan is like, what? <laughs> you don't join the Federation because you have warp drive. Um, and someone who isn't a fan doesn't know. I don't know. I'm t- it's so and then it just gets into this booger joke. Which the idea of, I actually think they could have done that same joke, the bigger idea, which is that they go to meet these new people, they're so excited, and the people are super gross, could have been done in a very funny way, and to me was not done. I didn't laugh at all. Well, I, I laughed at moments, you know, I mean, because it wasn't just the gross thing. It's like they, they their national dish is microwaved old fish. They were the most annoying people in the world. And you're like, well, maybe we don't want to do first contact with these people. It's a weird Venn diagram. I think it's casual Star Trek fans who are also big adult swim comedy fans. And I'm kind of adjacent to that because I'm not a casual fan, but I'm liking them enough. I'm still looking forward to next week, which is Aaron's. And I'm we'll only looking goes. forward to Aaron's. I'm just very confused by these. The only thing that I thought, I thought it was, a, again, a funny idea that Riker shoots their warp cor- their- you know, their warp drive and destroys it so that they can't, you know, they don't have to deal with them anymore. But I, I just want it to be funnier. I just, I was like, if it was funny, then none of those things would bug me. Nothing would bug me. And I would just be laughing because it was so silly and funny. But even the jokes, like the microwave fish joke, it's like they didn't even make a joke about it. They just said it. Well, you know, humor is subjective. So, uh, you know, you say it's not funny. To some people, it is. I know. I it's. I was just listening to Jimmy Kimmel talking on a podcast about how he said some comedians. I don't think they're funny, but I've I do a monologue. Everybody laughs. Then a comedian that I don't think is funny comes out, and the same people are laughing at that guy. So who am I to say he's not funny? They think I'm funny. They think he's funny. <laughs> it's like right. right. Anyway, speaking of something that is objectively funny we can declare it's funny and it's a fact that it's funny <laughs> let's talk about the fourth episode of lower deck season four because we get to go to orion oh yeah i mean among so many things the episode is called something borrowed something green because there's a wedding do you think this is the w- they said there was going to be a wedding this is the wedding this is the wedding but this isn't the romantic episode because we know that's coming up later the kind of Valentine's Day episode, which Mike described, because we've seen clips of that from Ferenginar when, right, you know, so I think that's a whole different thing. So my theory that they were going to marry Shax and Donna <laughs> for, you know, that's out the window, showing that I am not watching ahead because I am an idiot and guessing totally wrong. No, it's good to guess. Doesn't make you an idiot. Fair. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um. Uh, this one uh, is written by not a new writer, uh, Grace Para Janney. She's been an actress and a writer. She works with Mike on his other show. I think this episode had to be written by a woman. I don't know. Is that sexist for me to say? Yes, I believe it is. 
okay, but it, I don't know. It benefited from being from being written by a woman. What do you think? Because it was a, a you know it was a girls' trip. That's what Mariner calls it, and yeah, and, I, and it was to a matriarchal society. All the main characters on Orion were women. I thought that was a direct, like trying to reverse the history of like Orion's slave girls. Like I liked that. It was such a nice change from how we used to always, whenever we saw Orion's until Discovery, it was always just hot women. Right. I mean, well, <laughs> obviously Enterprise, which they reference in this Enterprise right. still did the hot women, you know, but they revealed that the hot women were in charge, but they were still hot. And uh, what did Mariner call them? Like uh, showgirls, uh, how showgirls took over the uh, ship. Right. But they, at least there were a number of thing in you know things introduced in this episode that I felt were nods to Enterprise, like how people put the metal in their heads and all that was which was introduced and the tattoos and stuff like that. But I think you know what I like. I mean, I guess we're just diving in it. So at a high level, I enjoyed the episode mostly the A story. This is very much a big A story, and then a kind of minor B story on the ship, which was fine. Right. It was silly and fine, but that, you know, I'm glad it was a B story. <laughs> Let me put it that way. Well, I'm glad it got less time because it deserved it. I also love this one. I thought it was they had not put those groups together before. Like it was really fun to have Talyn Mariner and Tendi off doing something together. And then Rutherford and Boimler don't usually spend a lot of time together, just the two of them. So that was really fun too. I thought it was about something. I thought it was funny. I thought it was fast paced and kept everything moving. And in terms of the, the big overarching season story, it was the first, they're starting to move closer, right? Like all of a sudden we now have them tied together. One of the, I would say ship tied. Got, I would well, say the Orion tied. ship got destroyed. Yes. And, and then Freeman says to Tendi, we're the Federation's trying to, you know, we're giving you, we want to send you back there because we feel bad basically about that it was blown up. Well, no, actually, she said there's a missing ship. So, and they have no idea that it's part of a pattern of missing ships. So I wouldn't say tied. It was, it was basically hinted at the larger story. This is the first hint of it. Which again we like because it's the slow burn. But I, you know, the visit to the Orion ship was fun. They were lower deckers essentially. This was very much like Wedge Dude, right? Right. So you got a, a trio of lower deckers talking about working their way up to the syndicate, and I, I love how they. One of the thing they were going through all the loot, and they threw a TOS phaser in the garbage pile. Right. <laughs> and then they end up getting. Well, it looks like they're being killed. Although we've got our theory yeah. that they're they're being transported but the, uh they were plunder sorters that's what the uh lower deckers were <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah they were they were not very what did they call themselves like pirate adjacent or something yes like that. pirate adjacent i mean this episode had a lot because you know, it was trying to again confront the orion pirate mythology and give us something deeper about their society and it it, it, it was very open about that when at the beginning when Mariner learns about the sister's wedding. She's like, oh, you know, no one really knows about Orion's. You know, of course I want to go. But what's interesting is how Tandy didn't want to go. You know, she's totally distanced herself. Right. She doesn't even go home for vacations. But she was or kind of ordered by the captain to. Yes. Which is, which is where we get that connection to kind of smooth things over. I don't know how that smooths things over. But um, 
Well, because it's a powerful family and they they wanted their daughter to have leave like she gave her leave so that she could go. Right. I mean, we've heard this phrase, Mistress of the Winter Constellations from like <laughs> season two or something. Now we kind of get a sense of what that really means. She is like a princess and her mother is a queen. Of her dad is of, named Bert. Not, not Bert. It's Bert. I'm oh. not sure how it spells, but I think there's like two or three U's in there. Probably, oh, okay. Probably an apostrophe thought- or something in there. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it was like, this is my mother, Warrior Queen Shona and Bert. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, again, shows you how the men in that society are their second-class citizens, essentially, or they're the real slaves. And, and certainly, when we get to the sex dungeon, you can really see how they treat the men. Well, because that's the sex dungeon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which there are apparently many of. This is right. a typical sex dungeon. there's like another one. Oh, right, exactly. <laughs> Using their pheromones. Moans, man. Yeah. I'm stuck on the moans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everything about they they both tied into what we've known about Orion's, but they really, I mean, this episode it created a ton of canon for oh, Orion. Yeah. But it was all funny. Well, that they like to be carried around. <laughs> and and I like how they kind of showed, you know, the 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 diversity of Orion society. Notably how the because and this is because in Star Trek the makeup on Orion's would change over yes. the different shows. So what they're saying is, which is great is because people are always like the Orion's look wrong, you know, in this show or that show. Yeah. You know? I always, to me, their coloring on discovery is always weird. It always right. looks off to me for some reason. And I thought in that opening scene that with the lower Decker ones, the dude was the guy who looked like the wrong, he had the disco color. Right. Which is a, you know, which is like humanity. They're saying there's nothing wrong. Every show that has done a green Orion in a different way, they're all right. They're all correct. Yeah. Yeah. There's many, many shades of green on Orion, you know, which is cool. Yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't what you would think of, you know, with all the pirate talk and all that. The family lived in a palatial mansion, which is as Barry said to us, it's like pirates when they go home, you know, they're they live in a nice house, just like a drug lord or a crime lord. Like That's Tony why Montana. you do all that pillaging. Exactly. So that you can live in a nice house. And it was quite the house. Even in a post-scarcity world, as Mariner said, she was impressed. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Mar- Mariner and again, well, again, to Lynn, kind of like in the previous episode, was really good at being the outsider looking in and making the commentary and she really, just like she did with Boimler at the end, really helped Tendi get through her little character arc. Say, yeah. you know, you are who you are. And she described as a good friend, which shows Tillin herself accepts Tendi as a friend, which is a yeah. big deal. And she's changing because she like, she gave up her whole report because <laughs> she's a good friend. She's, she so threw it she, out the window. Yep. Yep. And said, oh, I lost it. Yeah. Right. That was That was very later Spock in a way yeah. movie era Spock of her all of that yeah I like this trio very much yeah their journey across Orion where no matter where they go Mariner gets, gets stabbed <laughs> in the same spot <laughs> that's just such a funny stupid running joke yeah. <laughs> but again quick good use of a running joke fast funny fast happens again boom done yeah they've you know all of them were great 
it's it's amazing that you know they're all recording in closets or wherever you know on their own because there's so much you just really feel this great chemistry i don't know maybe there was some for this season but I, i'm not sure there was a lot of in-person well i hope that jack and eugene got to do some of their stuff together because they <laughs> they would have fed off each other for sure yeah, so let's switch quickly. I mean, certainly they're dueling um, twains and stuff because the timing of that was so important. That, that that would be really hard to edit that together Yeah, because of how that, that patter went back and forth so perfectly. That story, I mean, one thing I liked about it is it didn't go where I thought it was going to go because you, you thought it was going to be like a Jake and Nog situation where, you know, when they became roommates and it was a total disaster – they got into this art, you know, fight and you thought the fight was going to escalate, but it quickly turned into this weird thing of how they could resolve their differences by both being Mark Twain, which right. is the most random thing. <laughs> I love it. Well, and it starts again with conflict because they did. They weren't both supposed to be Mark Twain. Each one thought they were going to be the only one. But what they learned from it is that they get along when they're identical. <laughs> right. And then they try to impart this lesson to their captain. So I thought Which it was not smart at all. I don't know. It what was a weird were... thing to try for sure. To say, but that is what helped them with their bonsai, which is what they were fighting about. Which they considered <laughs> but, a child. They gave it a name, Little Bony. Little Bony. But the whole idea that that is how you could stop fighting is being identical. It's it's a good twist on putting yourself in someone else's shoes because it's just putting both of you in the same shoes. <laughs> Although there was an important note at the end when they're kind of recalling their days together. Tendy asked Boimler, well, you resolved your differences by being open and honest with each other. And they're like, oh, yeah, I guess we could try that because that's what worked for, you know, in every episode. The breakthrough moment is when the character reveals their their inner truth, right? We had that right. here with Tendi and her sister and Boimler and Rutherford just skipped that step and they went to dueling Mozarts. Yep, which, <laughs> which was even more annoying than the dueling twins. Well, the dueling twins was hilarious. The dueling Mozart was annoying but funny annoying. Yeah, no, um, I mean, you know, yeah, that is what I mean. Uh, the Dewey Twains had more of a, I thought, a Foghorn Leghorn vibe. <laughs> more of that. Than a, <laughs> yeah, I say, than say, Twain say. Vibe. Yeah, it yeah. was very Foghorn Leghorn slash Colonel Sanders or something. I don't know. <laughs> I, I thought um, Don Lewis did a pretty, you know, when she came in and tried to do, they're like, you got to do the accent. And so she tried to do it and uh, she was doing it pretty well. And, but of course, the captain, the Chalnoff, which is a total deep cut. Which I which didn't I, even recognize. I well, did because it's an episode that I love. But that captain uh, was having none of it, even though when they said use a Southern accent, he's like, I am from the South. From the South, <laughs> yes. But he was great. I recognize, again, I recognized him immediately and was thrilled to see him. And he was very irrational. And then he ate the bonsai. And then he got misted. He drank the mist. Yes. So it worked out, even though they lost little Boney. My favorite line of that is just a little thing at the end. I mean, that's the thing, how dense the show is when they have, you know, so as they're just like walking away and, and Captain Freeman says, you are very intimidating. He goes, oh, thank you. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so, because I guess to a child not, that's pretty important. Yeah. Being intimidating. Yeah. Um, and this is all 
Well, it, you know, and there's another meta thing here. The whole argument between the captains was who gets to scan the nebula, which Tendi's sister kind of mentioned. She's like, what's with Starfleet and all the scanning? Why isn't Starfleet obsessed with scanning? And Tendi's like, we like science. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. There's there's a lot of scanning in Star Trek. Well, but sure, it, because you need them for because the whole idea is that you need information to make a decision, no, I, which no, is I a revolutionary it. idea in 2023. But still, it's. <laughs> The show isn't, it's not making fun of, but it's kind of pointing out because when you could sit, you know, when you compare it to Foundation or Star Wars, or everything else, there's just not that much scanning going on. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they just get extra scanning. That's all right. I'm saying. <laughs> there was something about the, at the very beginning of the episode where Tendi says that she's finished cataloging all the diseases blocked by the transporter after last week's shore leave. And I thought, this, to me, is a perfect summary of what is so great about this show and what makes it special and what makes it work. Like, it's packed because there was a lot of information in that sentence. It's funny. It's specific. It is believable. It raises questions about Star Trek and how it works. Like, the idea that you'd have to catalog all the diseases that come in after a shore leave. It is encapsulated to me the spirit of the show. Absolutely. And the murder bug drinking game was great. Yes, and how Tendi, we learned so much about Tendi. You know, she's a princess. She was trained to be an assassin. Well, she's the which, prime. She's not a princess. She's the prime daughter. If her mother's a queen, she's kind of like a princess, whatever. But she trained to be an assassin, but she dreamed. I love the little drawing when she was a child of her and her sister. And she's like dreaming of being in Starfleet with her sister, waving the sword around, yeah. <laughs> showing that she was destined to scan. She doesn't want to do all this stuff she wants to scan things but she's also really good at it like when she wins the weird death beetle game she goes it's my first time like <laughs> i mean we've seen her do amazing stuff before in the deep space nine episode we saw her really kick into orion gear but i loved all of this stuff she's so funny and that she does and that she'd rather be like a nerd than a hot assassin it's right excellent it and and she showed that, um, you know, when she defeated the mistress in charge of the sex dungeon. You know, that was funny because the Enterprise episode introduced the pheromone thing, which then Tandy kind of tried to dismiss. But right. then this brought back and said, well, no, it's true. It's just that Tandy herself doesn't use the pheromones to control men. Or maybe she can't, she I guess. But many Orion women do, including this evil sex dungeon woman but tendy defeated her because she created a cocktail with her hypospray that could cure the well, counteract yeah 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 so oh uh, yeah i love when she cures the first one he goes oh man another not another what did he call it a pheromone room or something like that yeah pheromone yeah. sex dungeon or something like that <laughs> <laughs> It's a compli I mean, I, again, this is the great thing about this is that too often in Star Trek, cultures are monolithic. And this showed, you know, Orion society, yes, there's pirates and they certainly have a lot of fun with that and the crime stuff. But it's a complicated society that we saw and yeah. a diverse society that shows how a lot of these guys could have been next-gen writers or, you know, they could write for Discovery or Strange New World yeah. easily, you know, and creating new Star Trek canon, which they're doing. I mean, this is canon. But I like all. the way they play with the old canon at the same time. Like, even Tendi just saying, like, I have to be photographed in our belly dancer outfits. Like, 
you know, all that right. kind of stuff that says, yes, we know you've seen it and it looked like this. And by the way, here's a lot more information to flesh it out. Yeah, they didn't say everything we know about Orion's is wrong. In fact, they said a lot of it is right. It's just they added all this kind of fun context to it, I felt. Yes. But they got the details right, the Orion writing and stuff like that. And there was some good guest stars. I thought Ariel Winter from Modern Family played the sister and Kimiko Glenn played the kind of mean girl. The one with the death beetle or yes. the one in the dungeon? The one in the bar. Yeah. Threw the, the first one who threw a knife at Mariner. <laughs> <laughs> good guest performances. Um, Nolan North is all, you know, is always great. He played the the captain, the alien captain. Although it, you know, it, it's a little one note because it was very similar to the hunter from the most dangerous game. Sure. Almost kind of felt like the same character in some ways, but still funny. I thought. Yeah, agreed. We learned a lot about. I mean, Mariner was just kind of along for the ride, but Tendy grew uh, to, you know. Talyn grew in a way Boimler and Rutherford grew, or now they're called Rutherford. Rutherford. <laughs> <laughs> Which I guess is spelled B-R-U, right? But it's disturbing their friends who think they've just gotten too close. Yes. Well, we've all seen that when people start living together and they just get a little too, you know, too Alike. much. Yeah. Start dressing in identical costumes. <laughs> <laughs> I did enjoy, Boimler got one really good bizarre line in this week that made me laugh where he said he said that grandmama boimler always says a cool duvet keeps the raisin rats away <laughs> yeah he called back on his even though he he really wanted to get away from the vineyard which of course was a raisin vineyard not a wine vineyard he used that argument that he grew up on a vineyard as to why he should spray mist on little bony Although the solution was kind of obvious, the even days and the odd days. I don't know right. why they needed the dueling Mark Twains to come up with that well, compromise. Well, they did, but they did. <laughs> it was for that reason, because they had to be identical. Yes. And the what was the the other argument was over, should they do... It was their watercolor or an oil painting. Yeah, of the Enterprise D, and they the <laughs> compromise was an acrylic. Right. Uh, the, for their Mozarting. But so. I really, I love the scene at the end where everybody kind of gathered together and sort of talked about their adventures. Right. And and what showed the wedding photos from the cool pirate yeah. wedding, which Boimler was very, as he would be, of course, jealous of not being able to go to the cool pirate wedding. Right. It, this is, you know, it's a good solid one-off. I don't see much coming from this related to upcoming episodes per se. But that's what's great about the show. It's, it's episodic. This was the Orion episode. We learned a lot. And these characters, have, you know, continue to grow into be. I mean, the whole point at the start of this was they were they had free time because they're lieutenants now and they, they have more time right. on their hands. So they continue to play up the implications of the promotions. Well, even though Talyn says that celebrating a lack of purpose is illogical. No, I disagree. <laughs> I think you should celebrate a lack of purpose when you have one. Yes. Well, you know, obviously that's not how they do things on on Vulcan. No. I mean, I think that's it. I, I really enjoyed this one. These episodes are so fun. I feel like they're rooted in some real stuff, like how you deal with when you move away from your family and you're afraid to have your friends find out things about your background. 
all that stuff is very real, even if we can't all be Orion pirates. Yeah, with the constant theme of honesty is the best policy when you speak your truth and you become your best self. Because that was the whole thing about both the sister and Tendi herself was accepting that she is where she wants to be because she described her Orion background as her real self. And they're like, no, your real self is on the Cerritos. Yeah, her real self is all of it. Her real self is all of those elements. Yeah, she can kick ass and be a cool scientist nerd at the same time. Exactly. So that's it. You know, season four, fantastic. It's really going, really going well. I think fans are going to like this. I don't think it's going to be polarizing in any way. No, I don't think it. I mean, there's some people who just don't like it and think it's a dumb show, but I'm not one of them. Yeah. Yeah. I meant, you know, within the people who've already already liking the show, I think. Yeah, there's nothing to, there's nothing polarizing about it. It's super fun. So let's do some bits of the week and wrap things up. Well, I'll start with the fact that scientists in Brazil, this was an article that was in the New York Times, have identified three new species of spiders and they've named them Kirk, Spock, and McCoy. They're part of the Roddenberrius genus. That's the taxonomy. And they said they chose it because Gene Roddenberry inspired generations of kids to pursue scientific careers which is true, and that they also thought that the spiders looked a little bit like Star Trek ships. <laughs> but Kirk, Spock, and McCoy belong to a family of spiders, unique for having only two eyes instead of the more common eight, and rows of teeth, bristles, orange, carapaces, pale abdomens, and claws. Um, and apparently there's also a spider, a bunch of spiders named after David Bowie. This is a common fun thing to do for scientists <laughs> but uh the new york times article had pictures of each of these spiders so you could actually see them i'm not a fan of spiders but i do like that they're named kirk spock and mccoy and obviously some tendy like scientists in brazil um are out there excited about scanning for spiders yes and it's great that we're still finding new life. You know, apparently there's millions of species still to be discovered, especially in the Amazon rainforest. Even if it's spider life, which is sort of terrifying, <laughs> um, at least to me. So what have you got? Well, actually, you know, in a way, you may end up talking about this more because you brought it to my attention. But it's this great Twitter thread from David Mack, who's one of the most prolific and popular writers of Star Trek fiction. And he just wrote this long thread about the book he's working on, which is coming out next year called Firewall, which is a Picard book about seven. But apparently the USS Dauntless plays a major role in it. And he kind of talks through his research process. The Dauntless was seen on Prodigy a lot and how he kind of figures out what we know about the show, the, the ship, and then kind of how he realizes how there's things he needs to fix, like how there was no sick bay on the diagrams and stuff. So it's just, it's interesting how he tries to stick to the canon, but, knows where he needs to create new canon, even though the books are not canon. So just a, it's a really interesting thread for people who are curious about the writing process and using Star Trek research, using memory alpha, because everyone uses it. We use it. Even the, star, you know, people who create Star Trek use memory alpha. Yeah, of course, people, the movies, they used it. Everybody uses it. Yeah, this was such a great thread. I thought just understanding the serious process that has to be done because they, he does take it all really seriously and has to look at the information that exists and then extrapolate from what from what's not there. Yeah. So I guess that's it for the week. Next week, we hit our halfway point for the season of Lower Decks. It's crazy. So see you for our final episode of September. 
See you next week.